Today we are um, finishing out this sermon series talking about God's call on our life. And uh, one of the things that I've been saying, and it's the name of the series, is that you know, God has called us and he's, he's calling us to a flourishing life. He wants us to grow. He wants the very best for us. And as we close out this series, I, I want to bring two scripture passages together in a dialogue. One is Psalm 139, and the other is Acts chapter 1. And I want to talk about these two passages in light of the fact of our call, and in particular that part of moving forward into the future is embracing the past that God has brought us through. I want to begin with Psalm 139, which is uh, a prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God for how he made us. It is um, a beautiful prayer to sit in, to meditate in. Um, And it is a prayer very much intended to teach us that God wants you and me to know this truth. You are not an accident. God knows you. He has known you before the foundations of the world. Your birth was not a mistake. It was not a consequence of blind atoms colliding. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He was not surprised by your birth. He made it happen. In Colossians, we are told that before the foundations of the world, God knew us. Already he knew us. He knew that he was going to make us. It is not fate or chance or luck or mere coincidence that you are alive. You are alive because God wanted you. In the vast array of possibilities, God chose your race, your skin color, your hair, your eyes. He custom-made your body, bringing forth your unique potential and talents. Psalm 139 says it this way. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Because he made you for a reason, he also decided when and where you would be born, and he knows exactly how long you will live. He has planned the days of your life in advance, choosing the exact time of your birth, doing all of this to bless you. Again, from the psalmist. Like an open book, You watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life prepared before I'd even lived one day. God knows everything about you. He knows your entire history. But he also knows your entire future. He is not surprised By what is to come, God never does anything accidentally, and he never makes any mistakes. He has his reasons, 
And while we may not always understand or even know what his reasons are, we do know his purpose. It is to bless you. It is for us to grow. And it is for us to become all that God wants us to be. The fullness of who he created us to be. Now, I think that's just gospel news. This is how much God loves you. This is who you are in him. And I also think it's gospel news that he has called each and every one of us to be on mission with him. I want to read for you now um, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to just read verses 1 through 8. This is one of five places in the Gospels in the book of Acts where we will actually hear what we typically call in some way the Great Commission, that it was in God's intention that he was going to call us in service to participate with him in his mission of saving the world. This is um, the book of Acts is written by Luke. It is intended to be the continuation of the story of the Gospel of Luke. And this is how it begins. In my former book, Theophilus, which means lover of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And the clear implication of what Luke says right there is, is now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is what Jesus does through his Holy Spirit in and through us, the church. The very life, the very character, the very power that we saw at work in Jesus God wants to have now be at work in us as we continue Jesus' work of saving this world. What I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Verse 3, after his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to set the whole world right now and it's up there going to come down here is basically what they were saying. And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And and here is one of these places where we hear Jesus' intentions for us. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For me, just as an analogy, and I couldn't help myself with this, but this is a little bit like Gandalf coming to Bilbo in The Hobbit. (laughs) You know, Bilbo is kind of leading this humdrum life, you know, safe, comfortable, and then Gandalf comes and he shakes him up, and basically he gets invited to go on an adventure. And hobbits don't really like adventures, but, but he can't help himself. And, 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 and this is the part where Jesus is inviting us 
on the greatest adventure that we can possibly imagine because it is the most important thing that is happening, which is the work of saving all of creation from sin and death and evil and Satan and the kingdom of darkness. And hopefully, this call to be on mission for Jesus is one that kind of picks you up by the bootstraps and a little bit like Bilbo Baggins, you're running through and saying, I'm going on an adventure. But if you say yes to this adventure, there are going to be times like Bilbo Baggins where you are stuck between a fire and a group of trolls (laughs) and you are going to wonder to yourself, why and how am I in this fix? But God knew, this is the part of bringing these two passages together, but God knew this was going to happen. And in these tough places, God intends to use it for our good. Uh, Pardon me as I continue to make this Tolkien-esque analogy. But Frodo, in the Fellowship of the Rings... He and the fellowship are stuck in the mines of Moria. And the reality of this adventure is that it is getting dark and he is sitting there wondering, how and why am I stuck in this? Interesting about this is that this is the last time that Bilbo and Gandalf have a serious conversation until the very end of the book, or the movie if you're watching it. And, and in this, Frodo's beginning to feel the fear and he's beginning to be wishing that he could go home. And, and Frodo says, it is a pity Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance. I mean, why did, if, if, if we just didn't have to get in all of this, if the ring would have never been found. And Gandalf hears that and he says, pity. It is, it is pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. Then, this is a little bit of the story, but I'll read this because it's building to the bigger idea. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play in it for good or evil before it's all over. The pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. And then Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf said, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides that of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were also meant to have it. And this is a very encouraging thought because there Gandalf is lifting us up and saying there is a God and he has a higher purpose. And while evil is at work in this world intending to tear us down, God is at work in this world and he is at work in you. You and I are called on an adventure, but there's going to be challenges And, and there's this, going to be this tension that gets played out. Um, so, 
In one part, I'm trying to tell you a little bit about just the sense of call on us as a whole church at Westside. And at the same time, I'm trying to make this applicable to each one of our lives. And today, the focus is on the idea of realizing that there's part that as, as we move forward, we also have to embrace our history. We need to remember what we've come through. And hopefully, we can see where God was at work. But there are going to be times when it's going to be hard. And um, bring you a little bit of practical wisdom, and it's going to get a little bit into the explanation of all of this. A lot of leadership books will talk about the challenges that we're faced, organizationally, but also individually. And when you face challenges, it's good to know what kind of challenge you face. And there's some general wisdom that says that there's three types of challenges. Tactical, strategic, and transformative. A tactical challenge is one where... Some sort of a problem emerges, and what you really need is you need somebody with expertise to help that problem. These are the simplest sorts of problems, as long as you have somebody who's an expert in dealing with it. And so, for example, this could be something where we used to have a problem with a furnace going out in this building, and and then the the simplest thing is is we'd need to call an expert and they would come to fix it. And then, because that thing was so old, we finally just hired some experts and they just installed a new one. And and there you go. And now we we really don't have too many concerns of coming in the middle of winter and freezing as we're in worship. Now, that's a small little issue. Um, But the same thing goes on sometimes, you know, in, in life, your car breaks down. Most likely, you need an expert. Now, you could go to YouTube, and maybe that's where you get your expertise, and then you do what the expert does there, or maybe you take it. But that's a tactical problem. It's the simplest kind to deal with. Strategic problems or challenges, in some ways, the the, the key of a strategic problem or challenge is really there's an opportunity. There might be some risk in the opportunity, but you, you, you you and I were on mission, there, there are things that we are to be about for the kingdom of God. There's some challenges, but there's opportunities. We know that we're supposed to make disciples. And so God says, I want you to dream. I want you to pray. I want you to, to, to try things on. We've been talking about this. And a strategic challenge is something that says usually begins with a dream of an opportunity. How do we share Jesus more effectively with our neighbors? And one of the things is, is that we looked at, well, let's strengthen the partnership that we have in our local community, and especially with Marcus Whitman School, and let's try to make a, a real impact in the lives of people. Well, how are we going to do about that? Well, let's set some goals. How do we deepen the relationship? Let's talk with the school. They need some backpacks. How about a back-to-school party? And so then what happens is, is you develop a strategic plan. You put forward a goal. You, you plan out all the details. You execute it. You see how it goes. That's a strategic thing. On, on a personal level, you know, and this is a part where we're headed in this direction. This is what we're going to do. Let's make the most of it. And these, this, this can be really fun. So, for example, I'll... My family had the chance to go to Europe. Now, we're doing that. We could go with no plans whatsoever, or we could make some plans. One of the plans that we made, how do we make the best of a day in Rome? 
let's find the best gelato in Rome. And so on one day, we had gelato in the morning, we had gelato in the afternoon, we had gelato in the evening, and we went to all of the best gelato places. And, and really, that was a strategic plan. We had, it, it, it just was adding opportunity and, and joy to life. Strategic plans, typically, they're opportunities. You need to, you know, it can be a little bit scary. You got to risk a little bit to do it, but there's that. The third one is called transformative. Some of your literature will say adaptive change. And this one is probably the most difficult sort of situation. You and I, as a church, we have this call to make disciples. There's the life that we have together, and then there's the world out there. And as a church, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. But would you be surprised if I told you the world out there is changing? And the change out there means that just because we've always done it in here, the change out there is putting pressure upon us. Because sometimes what we've always done won't work. And sometimes things change out there so much, it creates some tension in here. An example of, of this is that um, a number of years ago, we left uh, our, our old denomination, the Peace USA. And, and the issue really was theology. The denomination had become so broad theologically that in their practices, kind of anything was allowed. And so when we looked at that issue and as we were dealing with it, it was the, the pressure out there was beginning to want to invade and say, you're going to have to do some things differently. We, we do have to do some things differently, but, but this becomes the issue of transformative change. There's core values on which your identity gets built, and in some way those values are getting challenged by the outside world. And the, and the outside is, is, is saying in some way you need to change and in some ways, you may need to change, but the question becomes how. And that sense of loss has the threat of making you feel like we're going to lose our sense of identity. Transformative issues are challenging because there's going to be some loss involved. There's some conflict of values going on. The way that we did things has to change. But how do we change without losing our sense of identity? Um, a number of years ago, we had um, we hired a, a tac we made a tactical decision, and we hired um, an outside consulting group to walk us through a visioning process. And they spent a lot of time talking about transformative change, the reality that the outside world's changing and it's creating pressure on you. And this was key, and this was, for me, I mean, I, I was very thankful for this. They said, as you think about charting your future, the key to, to navigating through transformative change is two parts. One, the role of leaders is to get us into dialogue, to ask questions. Who are we? What is God calling us to be? What do the scriptures say? It, how do we hold on to this and move forward into our future together? It, it, that's part of it. That's the leading part. And then the other part is this. 
they had us go through a process and they said, you need to identify your core values. And those core values that you have, the way that you express them may change, but you have to hold on to those core values or there will be the sense that you're losing who you really are. Thus, we're talking about embracing our past. I want to share with you the work that came out of session at that time. There were six core values that they identified, and it was, I, I, it was for me, it was, I, the way that they did it is, is it was a genius. They, they asked us to tell stories about Westside Church. Who are our heroes? What are our high points? What are the things that are, and, and as, as the group of leaders who worked through this, which was the session and the staff, we, we, we told stories about people like Sue Hinkle and Frank LaSalle and, and people that were part of, had been part of you know, Homer Goddard and John Zimmerman and, and all of these different people and the stories associated with them. And we came up with six things that said, you know what, this is Westside. And as we move forward, we can't let go of this. First one is family. We are a family church. We're going to function like a family. We want the expectation that we get known and we're known and that if you don't come regularly, people will will wonder, where are you and why aren't you here? And we missed you and we really love you. And we we would, would never want to get to the place where that sense that we, that, that, that we belong to one another, that we know one another, that we, that we matter gets lost. A second thing that we identified is that moving forward into our future, we are a church that has always been concerned about building up the next generation of disciples. Our, our language of this is intentionally investing in our children and youth, passing on the faith and life of Christ to the next generation through loving, nurturing, intergenerational relationships. We're going to invest in youth ministry. We're going to invest in children's ministry. We're going to intentionally continue to try to grow younger and have families with kids join with us so that we can invest. But at the very same time, we really do love the intergenerational and, and you're going to see, and we're going to continue to push in this direction of how do we get these generations crossing? How can we form relationships? Some of it, just invite you. I hope it's just natural. I, if, if, if you have no grandparents who live in the area, I hope you adopt some grandparents from Westside that, that will be part of, of your family's life. It, if you're a young person and you have no old people in your life, I hope that you would find some relationships with some of the people in our church family and invest in those things. The third area that is important to us is growing. Going deeper into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, cultivating the inner spiritual life of commitment to Jesus through all phases of maturity from new believer to disciple. I hope you get bored with the fact that pretty much every sermon series that I ever preach is about you growing deeper in your relationship with Jesus. In some way, I'm always just thinking about that. I I think that Jesus needs to be the most important person in our life, and I think we all need to be falling more in love with him. And I think most of the stuff that we do together as the church towards one another should be encouraging towards this growth. It means the willingness to speak truth. It means the willingness to say, people, we can't be consumers. People, we can't be lazy. We really are on mission. 
Fourth, every member ministry. Empowering and equipping spirit-led ministry, releasing every person to serve out of their giftedness. If you stay at Westside long enough, you're going to get invited into service. Because we believe that you have something to contribute. We believe that the body of Christ is all of us ministering together. We believe that pastors are really equippers and we're you know, not the professional ministers. We're just helping all the ministry go out. So, so this becomes something. It, it, it goes all the way back to Homer Goddard, who was the, you know, the first long-tenured senior pastor of Westside. And way back in the 1950s, before anybody ever heard about every member ministry, Homer Goddard was teaching regularly on every member ministry. And this is just one of the great strengths of Westside. And, it's, and, and when we talk about embracing our past, there's some things. This is where last week we talked about sometimes we're going to have to pivot for our future. Just because we've always done it this way doesn't mean that we always will do it this way in the future. But we're going to maybe change our approach. But there are certain values that we're never going to let go of. For me, it would be a tragedy if as Westside grew, it grew and then just a few professional ministers were the only ones who were seen to do ministry and everybody else were just participants out in the crowds watching a show. That is not the church. The church is the work that we do and the praise that we do and it's all of us together. That's every member ministry. Missional. Sending disciples to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the gospel through deeds and words as we serve our community, nation, and world. Bob Paul was one of the pastors here, and he brought a real focus towards world mission. Whether it's at the global stage or the local level, we are to be missional. We are on the Great Commission. Um, well, let's see. Oh, the last one. Biblically centered, renewing our minds through the study of God's word, teaching and nourishing the mind through a biblically centered yet intellectually focused approach. We are Presbyterian after all. Um, So, uh, biblically centered, uh, we believe that we are to teach all people all of God's truth so that we can all of us grow up into the maturity of faith because all of God's word is God-breathed, we are going to always be a biblically-centered church. And if we lose that, then, 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 then we are cutting ourselves off from who God has made us to be. So, we, we have pressure in the world on us. The heat is getting turned up on Christians in the world. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves, and that we need to repent. But a lot of the pressure that we're experiencing today is because if we want to stay faithful to the gospel, the world out there is antagonistic to the fundamental claims of Jesus Christ as Savior of the world. And so there's a part where... You and I, we, we may have to do some things differently. I mean, I was talking with some people about this this last week. Is, is that uh, as a family church, we're loving and kind, and we're going to be accepting of people. 
But how do we do acceptance in a world that says, if you don't affirm every choice that I make, you don't really accept me? Well, if I'm going to be biblically centered, it means that I'm not going to accept that definition. And, 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 and I may have to risk sometimes people being offended and they say that I don't accept them, but really I'm just trying to love them. And I, and, and, and I would be more than willing to embrace them, no matter what they've done or what they're doing. But I won't affirm everything that they do. But just so you know, in the same way, I hope you don't affirm anything evil that I ever do. Um, those are what we're headed into, this, this reality. And it is an adventure. Um, we are living into a post-Christian age. Um, it's going to be harder for us. And there's going to be times where you're going to sit there and go, how did I get here and is this really where I'm supposed to be? I want to share with you as a way of ending. T.S. Eliot, Eliot was one of our great poets of the last century. He was a Christian And he wanted people to be drawn to the truth and beauty of God. He was writing to the British people in the precarious times of World War II. And he was finishing what was considered his literary masterpiece, The Four Quartets. And in the final book, at the very end, which is called Little Giddings, he ended his entire thing with this reminder. Speaking to the British people, telling them that we are at the place that we are meant to be. Right in the middle of World War II, in its darkest hour, when it looked like the light was going to be snuffed out. And he said, no, no, no. These were the times that we're called for. And then he said this. With the drawing of this love and the voice of this calling, God loves you and he's calling you. For times just like this, we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the very first time. God's at work in this. And there's going to be times in your life where you're going to go, how and why? And sometimes it is a purging fire where God is going to help you become all that you are intended to be. Through the unknown, unremembered gate, when the last of earth left to discover is that which was the beginning, at the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall, and the children in the apple tree. And he's painting pictures here of this adventure, this exploration. It makes life worth living. Not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard in the stillness between two waves of the sea. Quick now, here now, always. A condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. This call calls for all that you are. And then there is this. It's an adventure, this life. But all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. And here he's quoting Julian of Norwich. And all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. When the tongues of flame are enfolded into the crowned knot of fire. And the fire and the rose are one. And when the suffering of the cross brings out the beauty that is in you. That's it. God is at work, my brothers and sisters, in the worst of times. 
He does some of his most important work in the worst of times. So don't be afraid. We're going on an adventure. And the most challenging and difficult circumstances, they will feel like a fire, but it is a purifying fire. And they will help us to become what in God's eyes we are. And so we embrace our past as we embrace our future and we hold on to that which is most important, which is Christ. Will you pray with me? Loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you call us to an adventure, that you have a plan and purpose for every one of us. But it's not to lose ourselves other than the fact that we abandon our life to you in absolute trust. But it is really to find who you have created us to be. Thank you, Lord, that we can look back and there are moments in our lives, individually and as the life of Westside, where we can see some things to say, Oh, Jesus, this is what you're doing. You're forming us to be a family. You want us to be people of the book, people who are inscripturated, who love your word and know your word, and because this is the true story of the world. And you want us to grow. And you want us to be connected. And you want all of us to be on mission for you. May you bless us in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.